Hello, ladies of Hume Lake. How are you? Well, it is obvious I, I came making a fashion statement this weekend. I broke my toe a couple weeks ago, and so I, I, would, I didn't plan to be this cute, but I am. Anyway, I'm so happy to be here. Y'all will get to know me more over the weekend. I will tell more about myself tonight, though. We just need to do some business with God. Is that okay? Yes. I promise that you will hear all my story, but tonight I just want to get into the Word, if that's all right. Okay, um, tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I'm calling this weekend Freedom Weekend. I believe God wants to set some of us free this weekend, all of us free in certain areas. Amen. And so if we come postured to receive, to listen, I believe God will do what he, what he always does. Amen? Luke chapter 13, 10. Listen, I talk really fast, um, so you probably want to take notes, or if maybe this will be on video, you can rewatch it, but I would just take notes. Other thing is, I grew up in a black church. I really like people talk back to me, okay? I really like when people talk back to me. You will not scare me. You will not throw me off. Okay. Give me a little amen or even an ouch. If it's, if it's convicting, give me an ouch, whatever you got to do, Okay? <laughs> Let's do Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. It says, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Father Abraham had many sons, oh, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on, left on. Okay, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. But doesn't that song just, doesn't that song just remind you of when we were kids? Y'all, sometimes it is so easy to forget that we were once kids. I know we're here at a women's conference and whatnot, but, but, but before we were women, we were daughters. Am I right? Before, we, before we, we, we had all the responsibility, before we had jobs, before we had money problems, before we had bills, we were just daughters, just kids, sweet little kids full of innocence. Ones untainted by the world, ones yet to be stained and jaded. We were kids who still believed in unicorns and Mickey Mouse, and, and that if we tried really hard to think happy thoughts, we too could fly with just a sprinkle of pixie dust. We were kids. Kids with very little responsibility in the whole world ahead of us. But somewhere along the way, we grew up. 
Somewhere along life's way, you ran into him and he stole your innocence. Somewhere along life's way, you realized your body looked different than theirs and you began to destroy it. Somewhere along life's way, you looked into the mirror and decided that you were ugly. Somewhere along life's way, a deep sadness began to overtake some of us from the inside out. Somewhere along life's way, you began to believe the lies that they said about you. Somewhere along life's way, something changed. Something changed. And that innocent little girl, that beautiful kid, grew up to become a tortured woman. A tortured woman. Tortured by heartache. Tortured by comparison. Tortured by low self-worth. Tortured by addiction. I want to talk tonight to the tortured women. And maybe you're not, not ready to even admit that's who you are, but I want to, you know who you are. I want to talk tonight to the tortured women because I believe the Lord wants you to know that your story of torture will never change your status as daughter. You are his, he sees you, he loves you, and he wants to free you. Can I pray for us? God, would you be in would you be so obviously in this place tonight? Lord, your daughters, some of us have been carrying things for so long, and it's tonight's the night, God, to just release. Lord, I pray that you would speak a word so clear. Your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 13, we read a story about a tortured woman, a story of a tortured woman and her journey to freedom. And as I began to study this tortured woman, I realized that there are several things in her story that I believe can be helpful to us as we wade through our own stories of torture. I believe there's three steps towards freedom that we learn from this tortured woman in Luke. And I'm not saying by, that, that we'll be free by the end of the third step, but I'm saying that by following these three steps, it can bring us closer to freedom than maybe you currently are. Amen. So three things, three steps. Number one, recognize your posture. Number two, respond to his pursuit. And number three, remember your position. Three steps towards freedom. One, recognize your posture. Posture. Two, respond to his pursuit. And three, remember your position. He says in Luke 13, 10 and 11, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bit double and could not straighten up at all. For 18 years, she was tortured by her condition. For 18 years, she could only stare at the ground and the feet of those walking on it. For 18 years, uh, she never saw a smile on someone's face or a twinkle in someone's eye. For 18 years, she was crippled, broken, and for all intents and purposes, useless to everyone around her. She knew it, and everyone else knew it. You see, her condition was obvious. It was obvious. There was no way she could go unnoticed by anyone. She could not hide. She couldn't pretend. Her torture and her pain were obvious. Now, typically, we read stories like this uh, in the Bible about uh, people like this, and we feel bad for these victims because we hear all the time about people like this woman would have been outcasted by society and treated horribly because of their condition, right? Y'all quiet tonight. We hear how they probably would have been severely lonely and depressed because of the ridicule they would, have, they would have come across at the hands of their community, and so we feel bad for them, and we should. We absolutely should. But tonight, I want to talk about something that we don't often talk about, 
I want you to consider with me for just one second that maybe the obviousness of her torture was just as much her blessing as it was her curse. Maybe the obviousness of her torture was just as much her blessing as it was her curse. Think about this. You see, we've been taught that one of the worst things about her condition was the fact that she couldn't hide. But after studying this text, I honestly believe that one of the best things about her condition was also the fact that she could not hide. She couldn't hide. She couldn't hide. And I know that sounds harsh at first, but it is a good thing. Why? Why is it a good thing that she couldn't hide? Because I believe right now that I'm sitting in a room full of women who can. We can hide. And we can hide well. Myself included. I can hide. I've had, and you know what? I believe it's killing us. I believe it's killing our friendships. It's killing our relationships with our kids. It's killing our relationships with our spouses. It is killing us, and nobody even knows. You see, the blessing of physical torture is that it makes your need obvious. But the curse of internal torture is that it keeps your need anonymous. I'm going to say that one more time. The blessing of physical torture is that it makes your need obvious. But the curse of internal torture is that it keeps your need anonymous. We won't know unless you tell us. We won't know you're dying on the inside unless you tell us. We won't know that you're crying yourself to sleep every night unless you tell us. We won't know that you're addicted to the pornography or to whatever it is unless you tell us you can hide. We can hide. And let me tell you why that's a problem. Because hidden pain leads to hidden shame. Hidden pain leads to hidden shame. And hidden shame paralyzes everything. It paralyzes everything. In Genesis chapter 3, we know the story. Adam and Eve had just eaten the forbidden fruit, and as a result, their eyes were open. And for the first time, they realized that they were naked. Of course, they become embarrassed and sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. Now watch what happens next in Genesis 3, 8 through 10. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Just a few verses earlier, when you look at this scripture, it says that God created Adam and Eve, and they were both naked and unashamed. But here we see that after eating the fruit, something changed, something shifted, and now instead of being naked and unashamed, they were both naked and full of shame. They were full of shame, and their shame caused them to do one thing, hide. It caused them to hide. Shame had literally stopped them in their tracks. It stopped them from fully embracing the presence of God in that garden that day. It stopped them from experiencing all the beauty that God had set before them. It stopped them from moving forward in the plans and purposes God initially had for their lives. It stopped Adam from manning up and taking any kind of responsibility. Amen? Whole nother story, though. <laughs> the point is, shame paralyzed them. And it does the same thing for us. It does the same thing for us. You guys, uh, almost probably six, seven years ago, I began this healing, of, a journey of healing. God had revealed this hidden pain in my life that I was not even aware of. And uh, he began showing me just bad habits I had, wounds that I had in my marriage and in my friendships and in my parenting and the ways I'd hurt people. And through therapy and a lot of therapy and conversations, I started processing where these untamed emotions were coming from. Why was I so quick to anger? Why was I so jealous? Why was I so guarded? Why was I so insecure? It has been some of the hardest years of my life doing this work. But, but pro, because prior to this, I had absolutely no clue how much hidden pain I was carrying. I was oblivious to it. And can I tell you that as soon as I began to realize this stuff about myself, instantly shame took me over. Instantly. Do you, you know that feeling? 
God showed you something and it just, you just get rushed with shame. It felt horrible. I felt like I was the worst person on the face of the earth. And as I'm coming face to face with all of these issues, God calls me to preach. He calls me to a public platform to preach. As I'm just now learning about myself and I was freaking out. I was like, absolutely not. Like I thought I was good before and I was ready, but then when he shows me all of this stuff, all of a sudden he's like, now nah, you're ready. You guys, I'm telling you, I did not want to do ministry at all after coming face to face. I felt totally disqualified. The truth is, I wanted to go and move off and live with the Amish somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. I was, I was mortified. Shame would have fully paralyzed me. You see, one of my biggest fears is doing ministry from a place of hypocrisy. It's always been one of my biggest fears. And because of that, my fear would have stopped me. It would have stopped it all. And even right now, I'm still in a season of major healing. But here's what my therapist says, and you'll hear this a lot this weekend. God does not surface things to shame us. He surfaces them to heal us. He does not surface things to shame us. He surfaces them to heal us. And that's what I've had to learn. God has been helping me. Uh, but, but, and I also realized that by not allowing my shame to paralyze me, by moving forward in my calling while I deal with my pain, I'm not ministering from a place of hypocrisy but I'm ministering from a place of humanity. I'm human. I'm a human and I'm a hot mess at the same time. <laughs> Any other hot messes in the room? Amen. And I'm honestly still coming to grips with the fact that that's okay. I thought it had to be perfect. A lot of us think we have to be perfect, so we keep this pain hidden, we keep all these things hidden, we live in the shame. And honestly, y'all, he's never asked us to be perfect. And I still have to fight every day to not allow it to paralyze me. But here's the deal, y'all. These past few years of this revelation of getting to know this hidden pain in my life has actually saved me. I have never been more aware of my posture because of what God has revealed in me. I've never been more aware of my brokenness. I've never been more aware of my hurt and my torture. I see it now. It is no longer hidden, even from me. And that has placed me in a position to be able to get help. You see, what I love about this woman is that her handicap forced her into such a vulnerable space with all those around her. And not only with everyone around her, but it forced her into a vulnerable space with herself. She knew she needed help. It was obvious. She knew she needed help. The question is, do you? Do you know that you need help? Have you been honest about your posture? Have you been honest about the things that are torturing you and crippling you, the things you don't feel like you can talk about? Church, the first step towards freedom is recognizing you're in bondage. You have to recognize your posture. First step towards freedom, recognizing your posture. The second step, respond to his pursuit. Respond to his pursuit. Said Luke 13, 12 to 13, says, and when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And when he saw her, he called her over and spoke to her. I don't want you to miss this. He was teaching in the synagogue. He was sharing the word of God with everyone around. He was speaking life to those in danger of death. This was no small task. This was no menial job. He was in the middle of ministering to souls. Yet when he saw her, he called her. You guys, he stopped everything he was doing. What he was saying didn't matter. Who he had listening to him didn't matter. When he saw her, he stopped everything to call her. Why? Because the sight of her torture automatically put him in pursuit of her freedom. 
The sight of her torture automatically put him in pursuit of her freedom. You see, this is the kind of God that we serve. You guys, he saw her right in all of her pain and all of her torment. He saw her. He saw her living in a state that she was never meant to live in, and it was enough for him to put everything else on hold just so he could go after her. Ladies, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, please know that the torture of your soul has not escaped the attention of your God. He sees you. He sees you right where you are. And just like he said to her, I believe he is saying to us, come. I'm not too busy. I'm not too preoccupied. I see you right where you are. And I'm saying, come. Come because I need to speak to that thing that is torturing you. Come because I need, I need to speak to that thing that has isolated you from the community I so desired you to have. Come, he's saying. Because I need to touch and release something to you that only comes in close proximity to me. You see, Jesus saw a tortured woman who should be free. And he knew that in his presence is where she needed to be. So he said, come. He said, come. But here's the thing about invitations. They can either be accepted or rejected. Am I right? They can either be accepted or rejected. You see the beauty of this story, church. The beauty of these stories, ladies, is not just that he saw her. The beauty is how she responded to being seen. She came. She came. In the 10th chapter of Mark, we see another pursuit involving Jesus, and this time it's the rich young ruler. And you've heard this story. He's coming to Jesus and asking how he can inherit life. And while Jesus gives him a list of commandments, and he says, oh, I've kept those since I was young, no problem. And then this happened in Mark 10, 21 to 22. It says, and looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But at these words, his face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. I want you to look at the similarities between this story and the one about the woman. Jesus looked at the woman, and out of his love for her, asked her, come. Jesus looked at the man, and out of his love for him, asked him to come, come. Come. It's, it's the same invitation to both of them. It's the same invitation, but watch this. At the words of Jesus, she left free. And at those same words of Jesus, he left grieved. Did you see that? The same invitation, she left free and he left grieved. Jesus said, come to her, and she left free as a result of it. Jesus said, come to him, he left grieved as a result of it. Now, you need to know that this word grieved in the Greek is a deep emotional and very intense sadness, even used of the pains of childbirth. In other words, she came tortured and left free. He came free and left tortured, all based on one thing, whether they rejected or accepted the invitation of Jesus Christ to come, to come. You guys, they both had the same invitation. They both had the opportunity to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to exist in an intimate space with him, an experience of freedom that could only come from him. They had the same invitation, but one accepted it and one rejected it. The question I have to ask you tonight is what will your response be? What will your response be because the invitation is the same. The pursuit will never change. He sees you just like he saw them right where you are, and he says, I love you. The question is, how will you respond to being seen in all your mess, in all your pain, in all your agony, and with all your history? Will you come? Will you let him love you through? Will you let him speak to that thing? Will you let him free you? Will you come? And then when you come, 
will you keep coming? We want, a, we want a quick fix all the time, especially, you know, we think we're just going to come to the altar one time or we come, and it's over. And it's not, that's not the case. I'm telling you, when it, when it comes to healing and all these things, it's, it's coming and keeping coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus over and over again and leaving those things over and over again. So will you keep coming? Will you keep coming? And I know that this is hard, and I know that it feels, some of us have tortured so deep that it feels even pointless to come. It's been a long time. But you guys, um, I understand that. But in the end, the only thing that really matters is that Jesus is calling. He's calling. Listen, the woman in the story didn't know that she would receive healing as a result of coming to Jesus. She didn't know that she would literally be raised up to life again. She didn't know that she would seek God in all of his glory and be compelled to worship. She didn't know any of that. All this lady knew was that he called her. That's all she knew. And well, it's obvious she knew one other thing. She knew that when the king of kings calls, you come. When the king of kings calls, you come. Listen, ladies, he does not pursue without intention. He pursues his children to love them. He pursues hearts to heal them. He pursues chains to break them, but he cannot break what he cannot touch. We have to come. And that looks like a bunch of different ways that we'll actually get into some of it this weekend, but just what does that look like? If that looks like you saying, okay, I need to talk to a therapist. I need to reach out and get some counseling from a pastor. I need to somehow come and bring these things before the Lord and get, get the tools I need so I can move forward in healing. Amen? It's responding to his pursuit of you because you have a God who says, I want to heal that. I want to touch that. Even that. Even that. Respond to his pursuit. The third. Third thing towards freedom is remember your position. Recognize your posture. Respond to his pursuit and remember your position. It says in 14 through 16, it says, But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. The synagogue official is obviously angry. He's angry that work is being done on the Sabbath. You see, the traditional law uh, for the Jewish doctors is that he, he may be allowed to work on the Sabbath, but only in life or death emergency cases, generally not. Uh, and so not in a case of chronic illness like this. So knowing this, the synagogue official is essentially saying, no, not you. You don't get to be healed today. This is really, you had six days to get healed, and you should have come then. It is too late for you now. You're not sick enough for anyone to be bothered with you today. You see what he's doing here. He's pretty much saying that because of her chronic condition, she's owed nothing. But then Jesus turns around and says, no, because of her heavenly position, she's owed everything. She's owed everything. She's a daughter of Abraham. Jesus says she's a daughter of Abraham. Abraham, the one in whom God said all his descendants will be blessed through. She is his. She is a daughter of blessing, a daughter of the promise given generations ago, a daughter of rich spiritual inheritance. She's a daughter of hope. And now through Abraham's face, she's a daughter of the king. In other words, Jesus is saying he did not care about what she had or didn't have. All he cared about was who she was. Why? Because who she was had everything to do with the freedom she was owed. 
who she was had everything to do with the freedom she's owed. Ladies, some of us are in bondage today, not because we have to be or, or because we can't get out, but simply because we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten the position that we have in Christ. We have forgotten who our Father is, and we have forgotten that freedom can be ours, not because we have done anything to deserve it, but simply because he declared it to be so. He declared it. We have to remember who we are so we don't get stuck where we are. We have to remember who we are so we don't get stuck where we are. I have had lupus for, God, almost probably almost 20 years now. Lupus is an autoimmune disease that uh, my, my body, my immune system attacks my own body. And so over the years, it's attacked my brain, my lungs, my heart, my joints, muscles. It's, it's, it's done a lot. I and mean, we'll, you'll hear my story over the course of the weekend. But a few years ago, uh, I was hospitalized because lupus was attacking my brain and my central nervous system. So I was having these weird seizure-like episodes that would leave me in this semi-catatonic state. So it was like a magnet would just pull my head to the left. I could see and hear everything going on, but I couldn't respond at all. It was the scariest, one of the scariest things I've ever been through. And so I would have these seizures, no ability to respond, and, and typically I would have the seizures. As I went into the hospital, I would, I would have the seizures, and after a few minutes I would snap out of it and I would return back to normal. And so the doctors were trying to figure out what is going on because they hadn't seen this before. But there was one night where the seizures wouldn't stop. And they lasted off and on for about nine hours of being in this horrible catatonic state. I just, I wasn't myself. I could not speak above a whisper. I had no, it was, I don't know how to describe it, but it was nine hours of torture. And um, this time, even in between the, the seizures, I just remained in this altered state. I couldn't speak. I couldn't hold myself up. I couldn't hold my head up. I couldn't formulate full thoughts or sentences. I had no strength in my body. My brain was literally betraying me. And at that, it was the scariest night of my life up to that point. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to fully speak again. I didn't know if I'd ever clearly think again. I didn't know if I'd ever worship or preach. And that night was the first time without knowing what else to do. Um, I could feel my soul slipping into a deep place of despair. You ever been there? Your soul just on the verge of losing hope just on the verge of losing hope. I could feel myself on the edge of surrender. But I had a friend. I had a friend who stayed by my bedside for hours just to make sure I did not forget who I was. She read scriptures over me all night long, reminding me of my worth to God. She declared over my broken body that I was healed. She told me that I was seen by the God of the universe. She prophesied over to me, over me, that I had a calling over my life, that he was not done with me. She told me for hours, Tiana, you will preach again. Tiana, you will worship again. You will preach again. You will worship again. She told me for hours when I did not have the strength to believe in myself. It was as if she, she made it her goal that evening to make sure I knew that regardless of what was happening in my story, it would never change my status. I was his, I was his, and even in that moment, he saw me. 
Now, I wish I could tell you that my body rose out of the bed healed that night. It didn't. But my soul did. My soul did. Every, every ounce of despair that had creeped in my soul was diminishing as soon as I began to stand upon and remember who I was that I was his, that he had not left me or forsaken me, that I didn't understand what was going on and it was so painful, but he was still present, that he would not abandon me. And you guys, it was so hard. It felt like the spiritual fight of my life to have your reality saying one thing and at the same time having to fight in the spirit for another thing, for the greater thing. But I can honestly tell you that with every truth spoken over me, I could literally feel my soul rising back to its rightful position. So much so that once I became fully conscious a couple hours later, the only thing my soul wanted to do was worship. I'm serious, y'all. All I wanted to do was bless God. I told my husband, put on uh, my, one of my favorite worship songs, and I worshiped for hours. Loud. So loud, my husband had to tell me to calm down because the neighbors were sleeping. I didn't care about them neighbors. In hindsight, it was rude, but in the moment, I didn't care about these neighbors. I had to worship. I had to Do you hear what I'm saying? That same soul that felt depleted and in despair a few hours earlier was now feeling more repaired and replenished than ever, all because someone was reminding me of who I was. Listen, Jesus is doing the exact same thing in this passage in the face of great opposition. He is reminding them of who she is. He is saying she is a daughter of Abraham. She's a daughter of Abraham. You can give your donkeys water, but I can't give her freedom. Do you understand who she is? Jesus, freedom is in her bloodline. This is what he's declaring. Just about that phrase, the daughter of Abraham, freedom is in her bloodline. He's saying she was never meant to stay bound. She was meant to stay free. So I say, forget your donkey, daughter of Abraham, rise up. He is saying she was never meant to, 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 be, to be broken. She was always meant to be whole. So I say, forget your rules and regulations, daughter of Abraham, rise up. She was saying she was never meant to feel worthless. He was meant to feel loved. So I'm saying forget what day it is. And if you think she's worth it or not, daughter of Abraham, rise up. This is what he's saying. She's a daughter of promise, Jesus is saying. And she does not have to stay where she is. She does not have to stay where she is. Through my power, she's able to rise. Can you imagine what that did for her soul? when nobody else would pay attention to her. Can you imagine what that did for her soul? Listen, this evening, some of you need to be reminded of who you are. As I was preparing this message, the Lord gave me a vision of people, women, sitting upright in their chairs, but completely bent over in their spirits, tortured. And some of you have been like this for decades. And tonight, the spirit of the living Lord wants to say to you, Daughter of Abraham, you were never designed to walk around with your head down. Rise up. Daughter of Abraham, you were never designed to live life defeated, weary, and broken. Rise up. Daughter of Abraham, you were never made to live in isolation, loneliness, and bitterness. Rise up. Daughter of Abraham, low self-worth was never supposed to be part of your identity. Rise up. Daughter of Abraham, what they did to you was never supposed to break you. Rise up. Daughter of Abraham, in him you are seen, called, and enough. Rise up. Daughter of Abraham, you are beautiful. You are redeemed. An absolutely perfect rise up. You are loved. You are loved, Jesus is saying. Rise up, rise up, rise up. 
you were never, you were never designed to be tortured this long. You've been bound too long. You are a daughter of promise. And through his power, you are able to rise. Can I say to you, it's not too late for you. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what your torture says. It's not too late. But the first thing you need to do is recognize your posture. You have to be honest about what is torturing you. You can't keep it in anymore. And then you got to respond to the pursuit of the one who wants to heal it. You got to come, and when you come, you got to keep coming. And lastly, you got to remember your position. Ladies, we do not have to keep living life as tortured women. We are daughters of Abraham. We are daughters of Abraham. We are daughters of the king, daughters of hope and promise. That's unequivocally who we are. Now we just have to rise up and walk like it. Can I pray for you? Lord, you know every story in this room. You know every heartache. You know every ounce of torture and the things that we cry about in the shower. You see it and you say, I want to heal that in you. You're not too far gone. You're saying to your daughters, through Christ, freedom. Freedom is yours. So God, I pray as we begin this weekend, God, that you would keep surfacing everything you want to heal. Don't leave us alone. God, bother us with it. Surface everything you want to heal, Lord. And give us the courage to respond. Give us the courage to respond. You are good. You are faithful. We entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.